For today, we come to the subject that touches us all, and it is the subject of, of suffering. Suffering is a word that we're all acquainted with, and it's because we don't, not just acquainted with the word, we're acquainted with the fact of suffering. It's all around us, and there's a very good chance that suffering is touching us in some way, even this very day. And here's what I know. Suffering is never abstract. It's never theoretical. It's never impersonal. Suffering is always tangible. It's always real. It's always personal. Suffering is always specific. Yet in Romans 8, Paul is quick to point out to us that as a believer, even though suffering will touch our lives, absolutely, suffering will touch our lives, God has, has given us hope in the midst of our suffering. He's given us hope beyond our suffering. One day our suffering will end. One day. Now, thank you for that amen. I'm going to have to tell you like I told my first service. I'm good enough where I can preach and amen myself at the same time. Don't make me. Don't make me start. So here's the deal. I know when suffering is going to end, yet the problem is that here and now in our suffering, oftentimes our suffering keeps us from seeing the end. Suffering sits on us like a dense fog, and it makes it impossible for us to see anything else around us. I think of a story, it reminds me of a story of one of the greatest athletes, American athletes in the 20th century. Her name was Florence Chadwick, and she was born in 1918 and became well known for her long distance open water swimming. I know you're asking the same question that I'm asking right now, why? I don't know. But Chadwick was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. She swam from France to England in 1950 when she was 31 years old, completing the swim in 13 hours and 20 minutes, which set a world record. She then swam it back in 16 hours, setting another world record. Two years later, Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. So the weather was, was foggy and chilly. She could barely see the boats that were accompanying her. Still, she swam for 15 straight hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother in the boat alongside told her that she was close and she could make it. So she swam for one more hour. Finally, after 16 hours of swimming with fog so thick she could barely see anything she stopped swimming and was pulled out of the water it wasn't until she was on the boat or in the boat that she discovered the shore was less than a half a mile away the next day at a news conference here's what she said all i could see was the fog i think i could have made the shore or i think if i could have seen the shore i would have made it can we not relate all I see is the fog. If I could have seen the shore, I might have made it. I could have made it. You know, we live in a world that has fog of trouble, worry, doubt, fear, depression, health concerns, unemployment concerns, financial uncertainty, strained relationships, unfulfilled expectations, loss of loved ones. To sum it all up in one word, we live in a world of suffering. We live in a world where we suffer, and like Florence Chadwick, there are times where we can't see the shore. 
We don't know where we're going. We have lost all ability to know what direction we're going in. The fog of, of suffering sets in and obstructs our vision and we can't see clear. We get discouraged. We begin to feel hopeless. If we could just see it, maybe we would make it to the end, but we can't, so we don't. And oftentimes we give up. We quit. This is what suffering and pain does to us. I think we have to begin by asking this question, why does God allow suffering? Why does he allow suffering? And what we know is that suffering is a natural part of living in a fallen world. So the fact that we live in a fallen world means that we're going to suffer. We are imperfect, imperfect people living in a broken and hurting world. And until Christ returns, until he comes again, we will continue to see sin and suffering all around us. But here is the beauty. Don't miss this. God uses suffering to draw people to himself. And suffering also causes us to have greater dependence upon God. Therefore, whether we like it or not, suffering is a very good thing. If it causes us to be drawn to God and it causes us to see our dependence upon God, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So when we say, God, keep suffering away from me, what we're saying is I want to keep depending upon myself and I don't want to be drawn to you, God. I'm not saying that we go and we pray, God, give me all the suffering. Give it all to me. Take it from everybody. I'm not saying that. But there's a benefit here. So let's turn to Romans 8 and see for the believer, suffering produces hope in us and for us. And it's a hope of future glory, which is today's message, hoping for future glory. And I pray that today we would see how this relates to every single person in this room. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to read verses 18 through 28 together. And it says this, Paul writes, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, in the midst of the suffering, Lord, that has, that is, that will touch our lives. God, speak. Speak to us. Well, there's so many times, God, that the temptation is there and we give into it. That we come out of, out of, out of suffering, Lord, not knowing you more, not closer to you, not understanding our dependence upon you, we come out, Lord, hardened. 
hardened by the difficulty, hardened even with our hearts against you. God, I pray today that you would help us to see the, the beauty of suffering, help us to see the purpose, and help us to see that there is future glory coming, that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with what is coming for us. God, speak, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So what we know is that believers in this world are exposed to all kinds of suffering. You know, we don't get saved and get an exemption from suffering. In fact, according to, I believe it's Acts 14, 22, we're assured that it is through much tribulation that you enter the kingdom of God. So it's through tribulation that we enter God's kingdom. But just think about the way that many suffer. Some endure inward suffering with no one who's acquainted with it other than God himself. And these inward sufferings, there is darkness, gloom, distress, there's trouble, there's sorrow. You can't even describe it. Some suffer much in body, whether it be distressed state of the nervous system, whether it be chronic, devastating diseases or deformities in, in the physical frame. Many people seldom move without some sort of, of pain, without some sort of suffering. They live a dying life, and it makes them long for a day that they don't hurt. Some suffer financially. Scarcely anything seems to prosper with them, even though they live honestly and conduct their businesses honorably. Things just don't seem to work out. Others suffer from reproach or strife, misrepresentation, persecution in the world, and sometimes even in the church or both. Meaning, there are people that no one seems to understand them. No one is really able to sympathize with them. Others in a domestic circle or from some other relationships are called to suffer long and seriously. I lump motherhood into this one. I mean, think about the ways as a mother that you suffer. I mean, there are worries, cares, concerns, burdens that you carry. And I've never been a mother, but in talking to, to moms who, who are older and have grandkids and great-grandkids, what they tell me is this, the worry never stops. It never stops. It never goes away. You don't just worry for your kids. Now you have new, new, new grandkids to worry about and great-grandkids to worry about. There's a picture there. But think about this from Trouble of mind, from sickness of, of body, from trials in business, from family difficulties or persecutions from Christ's sake, all of us will suffer. As beautiful and as diverse as our world is, we know deep inside of us that something in our world is broken. Something has gone terribly wrong. Disease, disaster, decay, death haunt us, even mock us. Our bodies continually remind us. Disasters make us aware of the reality. Or some new fundraiser for some new disease reminds us of just the difficulty and suffering in this world. Yet, as believers, the Holy Spirit of God works within us, works for us. And the promises of God guarantee us that something perfect is coming. Something perfect is coming, and because we have the Holy Spirit within us, because we have the promises of God before us, we long for perfection. We long for that which God has promised to us. We long for what He has promised to give to us. 
So in the 11 verses that we just read today, we heard three groanings. So I want to focus on those three groanings today and how those three groanings, praise God, lead us to glory. And just just hang with me for a little bit because I promise if you hang with me, we're going to get to a place where it touches you. I can assure you of that. So the first is this. What we see first is that all creation longingly groans. All creation longingly groans. Look at the screen. Verse 19, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing. There's that word. Verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So when Paul uses that word creation here, he means the entire lower order of things. So what he says is that creation as we know it has been subjected to futility, to emptiness, to pointlessness, to corruption. When humanity, when we fell into sin, the created order shared somehow in that fall. And now creation itself is subjected to frustration. Nature isn't what it ought to be, and nature, even nature now, as beautiful as it is, isn't what it was created to be. For creation as we know it is caught in a continual cycle of death and decomposition. Everything in nature wears down and dies. One of the most plain examples of that is in physics, and I hate talking about physics because I didn't do very well in it in college, Um, but here's what I do know. The law of thermodynamics, which is entropy, that an isolated system, in an isolated system, energy is lost over time. Things just don't stay in their constant state, but they deteriorate. They degenerate over time, meaning every day when you get up and you look in the mirror, entropy. I hate telling you that. I hate breaking it to you, brothers and sisters, but you are in a constant state of decay and deterioration. The Bible says this. The Bible says that um, beauty is fleeting. There's a time in all of our lives, or maybe some of you are still approaching it, where you will be the most beautiful you will ever be. Oh, take advantage of it. Let it. Let it sink in. And then from that day on, it is running away from you. And you might chase it. You might be in hot pursuit of it, but you will never again catch it. It is a picture of who we are. And in creation, no experience is untainted by pain. So because of our sin, creation was subjected to futility. But here's the question of verse 20. Who did the subjecting? Who subjected the creation to futility? We have three candidates. Either Adam did, either Satan did, Or God did. What Paul is doing in this little brief section, he's taking us back to Genesis 3, when everything came tumbling down, when Adam and Eve sinned. So what we know, before Genesis 3, everything was beautiful. Everything was glorious. Everything was good. In fact, very good. No groaning, no corruption, no futility, no suffering. After chapter 3, suffering, disease, Tornadoes, floods, epidemics, wars, strife, everything else that we could think of all after Genesis 3. But the question becomes, who did that? Who did that? Who subjected the creation to futility? Well, we have to rule out Adam and Satan when we get to that little phrase at the end of verse 20, in hope. 
Think about it. Try Adam here. Did Adam subject the world to futility and hope? Nope. No, he did not. Think about this. Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, they weren't thinking, we're going to do this because God's going to make something even better. That's not what they were thinking. They weren't thinking, we're going to do this and God's going to glorify it and make it good in a way that we could never even imagine. That wasn't in their thoughts or in their plans. Then think about Satan. Satan didn't do this tempting. He didn't try to bring this whole thing down in hope. Only one did all of this in hope. God did it in hope that we might have hope. I think of the words of G.K. Chesterton who said, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. And what we know is that hope is not blind optimism. Rather, hope is the audacity of faith even under adversity. Hope is the cheering of triumph even when everyone else sees a lost cause. Hope is confident expectation in what God promised he will do. So we see creation groaning, groaning for glory that's coming. It's a groaning, according to Paul, it's a groaning of anticipation um, and expectation According to Paul, these groans aren't death pangs, they are birth pangs. Meaning, think of like this, if you're in the hospital and you hear a scream across the hall, it makes a huge difference whether you're in the emergency room or whether you're in the maternity ward. Right? I mean, if you're in the emergency room and you hear someone, a blood-curdling scream, you're thinking something really, really bad is happening. Probably really, really bad. But if you're in a maternity ward and you hear the same thing, you're thinking something beautiful is about to happen. Something amazing is about to come. Just think about this. When we consider the majesty and the beauty of oceans and mountains and valleys and the absolute beautiful force, it staggers the mind to imagine what the world will be like when it's free to be itself. How much more beautiful, how much more amazing when, when the world is able to be, to be itself. To be free from sin. So even creation longingly groans, which leads, secondly, all Christians patiently groan. So Christians, all of us, patiently groan. Verse 23, Paul says, We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we await for it with patience. So the Christian life is a life filled with groaning. Groaning is the default language of the child of God. Our groans are whenever we experience pain in this world and we realize that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. When we see sin flourishing and we say it's not the way it's supposed to be. When we see sin having its way in a family, having its way in a person's life, and we say that's not the way it's supposed to be. When we realize and we see that our marriages aren't what they should be, our government isn't what it should be, our children aren't what they should be, our bodies aren't what they should be, or they're not even what they used to be. We see this picture taking place in our lives, and it makes us groan. Pastor Ray Stedman said this, Our lives consist of groaning, 
We groan because of the ravages that sin make in our lives and the lives of those we love. We groan because we see possibilities that are not being captured and employed. Hear this. We groan because we see gifted people who are wasting their lives, and we would love to see something else happening. Even Jesus, as he drew near to the tomb of Lazarus, we read that he groaned. He groaned in his spirit because of the ravages of death, with the toll that it was taking upon a family that he loved. He groaned, even though he knew that in a matter of moments, Lazarus was going to be standing right beside him, yet he groaned. And we groan. We groan in disappointment. We groan in bereavement. We groan in sorrow. We groan for physical pain. We groan when we're limited and we realize there are things that we're facing that we can't do anything about. We groan. Can we not relate? You know, we, we might think of groaning as a bad thing. And some even say, well, that's like a sissy thing. Men don't do that. But yet, groaning is a Christian thing. Groaning is the Christian response to, to Satan still being the prince of this world. Groaning is the Christian response to suffering that's all around us. Groaning is the Christian response to seeing the presence of sin in our lives. Groaning is the church's response in community to seeing the ravages of sin or even just pain inflicting another brother or sister. In this section, Paul says, The Holy Spirit groans, creation groans, we groan, God groans. The point is that our groaning produces patience and waiting on God to fulfill his promises, even in the midst of our own pain. I don't know if you've ever heard the name Joni Erickson Tata. She was paralyzed as a teenager in a diving accident, and she has lived in a wheelchair for more than 50 years. And yet she has written books, she has spoken all over the world. But in one of her booklets, Hope, the Best of Things, here's what she writes, and please hear this. I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now, I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven. And then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on my grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands, and I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know what I meant because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we're now sharing because of my suffering. And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. And then she writes this. Then the real ticker tape parade of praise will begin. And all of earth will join in the party. And at that point, Christ will open our eyes to the great fountain of joy in his heart for us beyond all that we ever experienced on earth. And when we're able to stop laughing and crying, the Lord Jesus really will wipe away our tears. Listen to this. I find it so amazing that finally at the point when I do have the use of my arms and I'm able to wipe away my own tears, I won't have to because God will. And then she said this. Then I will say to God, while pointing at the wheelchair, God, if you would like, you can now send that wheelchair to hell. (laughs) 
brothers and sisters, one day our body is going to be redeemed. Our body is going to be redeemed. We will have bodies that won't ache, that won't get sick, that won't gain weight. I read this week, in heaven, in heaven, salad and tofu will make you fat, and ice cream and chocolate cake will make you skinny. Maybe that's not in here, but I'm sticking to it. You, you heard it here first. The beauty is this. Not one second of our suffering will be wasted. That's what I want you to hear this morning. Not one single suffering will, ha- will be proven to be in vain. Not one thing that you will ever go through will be meaningless. Our suffering is doing something. Our suffering is making us groan for God. That we realize, God, it's got to be better than this. And God is saying, oh, it is. Oh, it is. It's so much better. It's so much greater. So all creation longingly groans. All Christians patiently groan. And then lastly, the Spirit sympathetically groans. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit groans is what Paul says. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when you and I don't know what to pray for, or when we pray for things that aren't best for us, we don't need to despair. Because the Holy Spirit is praying for us. The Holy Spirit who is within us is praying to God for us. You might be feeling or or experiencing deep personal loss. You might be wrestling with a life-changing decision you have to make. You might be even confronting your own failures and your own flaws. But when when our voice, when our vocabulary proves to be insufficient, the language of the Holy Spirit does not. He intercedes. And if you don't know what that means, it means this. The Holy Spirit who is living in you as a believer is praying for you. He's praying for you. Even in this moment, he's praying for you. When you feel like you have no words to pray, don't feel that you can't pray. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. The Bible tells us this. Jesus in heaven is praying for us. The Holy Spirit in us is praying for us. But then Paul says this. The Holy Spirit is groaning. It's too deep for words. What does it mean that the Spirit of God is groaning in us? And here's what it means. First, the groan indicates deep emotion or even this sympathy. That the Holy Spirit of God is sympathetic to the pain, the suffering that we are going through. He is sympathizing with us. He's feeling the pain that we are experiencing. And then second, the help and the groaning indicate His presence. I don't know about you, but in my lowest moments, what I don't want most is answers. What I do want most is someone. Are you with me? In my my lowest moments, I don't... I mean, if I came and had everything explained to me but didn't have someone there with me, what difference would it make? I want someone there. I want to know that I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with someone who is leading and guiding me. And this is the assurance that we have that when we weep, the Spirit of God weeps with us. I read this week, and this was so good. How often have we heard, have you heard in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your your pain, someone say this, well, at least you're not going through what I went through. At least you're not experiencing this, or at least you're not doing this, or at least this hasn't happened to you, or at least this or that. My, My guess, we've all been on the receiving end of that statement. 
My guess is probably most of us have probably even used that statement as well. But here's what I read, and this is such a powerful statement, and please write this down if you're taking notes. Suffering is not a competitive sport. <laughs> Suffering is not a competitive sport. Listen, that, sometimes that's kind of how we are. That we, we go, man, you know, I, I know my back is hurting and I can't walk anymore, but I read that somebody got pushed off a bridge and, yeah, that would stink. But it, that doesn't make my pain go away. It doesn't make my pain stop because someone else is experiencing greater pain. My pain continues. Your pain continues. And here's the beauty. When we approach the Spirit of God and Him in us, He never says, well, at least you're not going through what they went through. Or at least this. No, the beauty is He says, I feel what you're going through. I know what you're going through. And I care about what you're going through. Listen, in this world, groaning, groaning, groaning. But what about the hope? Hoping for future glory. Where's the hope? Where's the glory? Let's finish real quick where we started and where we kind of ended in our verse. Look at verse 18. I want you to see this and I want you to feel this. Paul says, verse 18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, whatever it is that you're going through in this moment, all those sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. All your suffering can't compare with the glory that God has waiting for you. All of it. Every bit of Listen, if you know where you're, where you're heading in the future, you won't even begin to entertain the prospect that suffering isn't worth it. It's worth it. And then look at verse 28. And we're not going to unpack this today. We're going to actually take on this next week. But verse 28, powerful word. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for, say it with me, good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And here's the deal. Not everything that we go through feels good. I went through stuff this week that didn't feel good. I'm going to go through stuff this week that won't feel good. It won't seem good. But the Bible says God is able to work it for good. Now, here's the deal. I don't get to define what good is. God does. There's our problem. We go, what doesn't feel good, well, it's not. Well, that's not good. Says who? Says you? Because God might be saying, oh, it's good. Oh, I'm working something really, really good in this moment. But here's the deal. Let me end this way. What about our Florence Chadwick moments? Well, we are not only in the sea, and it's not only cold, but all of a sudden there's a storm, and the seas begin to rage, and we wonder, am I going down? Is, is this the wave that will take me down? Not only that, to make things worse, here comes the fog, and we can't see anything. We have no idea where we're going. We have no idea. We can't see the shore. What do we do? What do we do in those moments? Let me tell you what I think we should do. Let me tell you what I, I do. There are times in my life, and I know there's times in your life, where suffering keeps us from seeing anything else. We, we can only feel that. We can only see that. So what do we do when we can't see the good, when we can't feel the good, when we can't see in front of us? What do we do with those, that promise that God will work it together for good? And here's what we do. 
we close our eyes, and in faith, we look back on our lives. And when you look back on your lives, you see his goodness and his mercy every step of your life. Or maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You're saying, none of this makes sense to me, but I'm still suffering. That makes sense to me. Let me tell you where it starts for you. You close your eyes in the midst of all that you're going through and you look back at the cross of Jesus Christ. You look back at what Jesus did for you. And there's salvation there. There's salvation there for you. I'm not saying it takes away every bit of suffering, but it makes every bit of suffering worth it. When we think about the one who suffered for us. Brothers and sisters, I don't, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what difficulties you're facing. I don't know what suffering is sitting upon you. And I don't know how it feels and how the fog is. But here's what I do know. God is good. He is good and he is working it together for good to those who love him. Trust him in that. Believe him in that. Glory is coming. Let me end today with the words of Pastor John MacArthur who says this. As followers of Christ, our suffering comes from men, whereas our glory comes from God. Our suffering is earthly, whereas our glory is heavenly. Our suffering is short, whereas our glory is forever. Our suffering is trivial, whereas our glory is limitless. Our suffering is in our mortal and corrupted bodies, whereas our glory will be in our perfected and imperishable bodies. Brothers and sisters, glory is coming. Glory is coming. Yes, suffering now. Glory is coming. May we trust God in that, in our suffering. Go ahead and ask you to stand. We're going to call the praise team forward and let us pray together. Father, we just seek you in this moment, God, in the midst of suffering that we know each one of us is experiencing. God, whether here, whether watching online, we all are walking through, have walked through, will walk through some forms of suffering. Suffering will touch our lives. And Lord, the fog will come along with it and we will be left directionless, paralyzed in fear, tempted to just curl up and not do anything. God, we pray in faith that as we look back in faith at your goodness every step of our lives, as we look back, God, and remember your word, your spirit within us will enable us to take that next step. If we take that next step and we don't fall and falter and we remember your goodness and celebrate your goodness, we will then take that next step. And we will keep taking those steps until one day, God, we open our eyes and we are with you in your presence forever. God, just awaken us to that. The sufferings of this present time, this present life aren't worth comparing with the glory that's coming for us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen.